Hi everyone, this is Monica Reinagle, and you're listening to the Nutrition Diva's Quick and Dirty Tips for Eating Well and Feeling Fabulous. There's been a lot of buzz this month about a new study that punched a few new holes in the already tattered notion that weight gain and loss is simply a matter of calories in versus calories out. And several of you asked me to weigh in, so to speak, on this latest finding and its implications, and I'm happy to do so. So what was this study all about? Well, one big challenge with losing weight is keeping it off after you've lost it, and most people eventually end up regaining most or all of the weight they've lost. So these researchers took some people who had recently lost a significant amount of weight, and they compared the effectiveness of three different maintenance plans. One plan was low in fat, but high in refined carbohydrates. You might think of this as the snackwell approach. The second plan had a moderate level of carbohydrates, neither high nor low, but they emphasized carbohydrates with a low glycemic load, things like legumes, vegetables, intact grains. And in place of the missing carbohydrates, they substituted fats. In other words, a Mediterranean-style diet. And the third diet was extremely low in carbohydrates and higher in both fat and protein, basically an Atkins-style diet. Now, all three of the plans had the same number of calories, which were precisely calibrated to match the number of calories each person was burning each day. So not surprisingly, over the course of the study, no one lost or gained any weight. The big news was this. People burned, on average, 300 extra calories a day when they were eating the very low-carb plan than they did on the high-carbohydrate plan. And the low glycemic diet was somewhere in between. The study authors concluded that over time, people eating a low fat diet would have a much harder time maintaining their weight loss than people on a lower carbohydrate regimen. Unfortunately, the study authors also noticed some negative effects from the very low carbohydrate diet. While on the low carb regimen, subjects experienced increased levels of stress hormones and inflammation markers, both of which might increase the risk of obesity over the long term. Really, the people on the moderate-carb, low-glycemic diet seemed to fare the best of all. They burned extra calories, but with none of the negative effects. As news of the study spread, my inbox filled up with questions from journalists and news directors and medical colleagues and you, Nutrition Diva fans. How significant is this finding? Is it really anything new? And does this study change my advice regarding diet and weight loss? Well, it's not surprising, to me anyway, that eating more protein and fewer refined carbohydrates would affect your metabolism. Really, I think what's most striking about this study is the magnitude of the effect. 300 calories a day is a pretty big deal. I suspect that one reason that this study produced such dramatic results is that the subjects had just lost a significant amount of weight over a relatively short period of time. Rapid weight loss produces some very dramatic changes in energy metabolism, and the fact that the subjects were in that exaggerated state of metabolic flux when they started the study might have amplified the effects of the three diets. I think the effect was further exaggerated by the fact that the high-carb diet wasn't just high in carbs, it was high in refined carbohydrates, foods that send blood sugar soaring and trigger big rushes of insulin, a hormone that promotes fat storage. And while there are still a few diehards out there promoting a low-fat, high-carb diet, none of them are recommending that you load up on refined carbohydrates. 
Had the high-carb portion of the trial used the same low-glycemic foods as the moderate-carb diet, just more of them, I'm not sure the difference between those diets would have been quite that large. Furthermore, if the moderate-carbohydrate diet had been as high in protein as the low-carbohydrate diet, it might have closed the gaps up even further. And finally, both the moderate and low-carbohydrate diet featured a much higher proportion of monounsaturated fats, which have been found to slightly accelerate fat burning. So had all three diets used the same type of fats, the differences might not have been as dramatic. In other words, there were a lot of differences between these diets besides just the quantity of carbohydrates. It also has to be said that the study was too small and too short to be considered the final word on the subject, but it certainly got everyone's attention. Here's how the New York Times blurbed it. Carbs, not calories, lead to weight gain. But as a take-home message, I think that's a little misleading. The study didn't find that you could eat as many calories as you want without gaining weight as long as none of them are carbs. Remember, the amount of calories consumed by the dieters was strictly controlled to ensure weight maintenance. It's just that they got to eat a bit more when they backed off the refined carbohydrates without gaining weight. So here's my slightly more nuanced take-home lesson. Excess calories still lead to weight gain, but excess calories from refined carbohydrates will do it faster than calories from other sources. In other words, all calories matter, but some calories matter more than others. At the end of the day, however, most of us don't have scientists following us around measuring our metabolic rate and precisely calibrating our meals for us. And as the researchers pointed out, but the media largely ignored, identifying the ideal mix of carbs, fats, and proteins is only one part of the puzzle. Listen to what they said. A strategy to reduce glycemic load rather than dietary fat may be advantageous, but ultimately, successful weight loss maintenance will require behavioral and environmental interventions. So how does this research translate into the real world? Does it change my previous advice? Not really. Here, by way of review, are the basic tenets of my approach, all of which are in line with these new findings. Number one, limit your intake of added sugar, especially sweetened beverages. Number two, choose whole and minimally processed grains instead of refined grain products, but even then, practice portion control. Number three, dial up the protein and the healthy fats to make meals more satisfying and satiating. Number four, eat lots of vegetables. And number five, do eat for pleasure, but not for entertainment. In today's show notes, I've included links to previous episodes that talk about each of these strategies in a lot more detail. And I've also got links to the study I talked about today and to some of the reaction to it. You'll find all of that at nutritiondiva.quickanddirtytips.com. Post your comments and your questions there or over on the Nutrition Diva Facebook page. And remember that I often answer listener questions in my free weekly newsletter, so be sure you're signed up to receive that. Thanks for listening. Have a great week and eat something good for me. <laughs>